bum bum bottom 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 bum
is what makes their partnership feel so true, feel so dimensional. One of the delights of this conversation is the discovery that some of the ideas that you think would be Tom's are actually Mitch's, and some of the ideas you would think that are Mitch's are Tom's. Which of course exposes our biases sure. as readers, where we think we're like so smart, like, oh, I'm seeing the matrix, but really we don't know what's going on creatively, you know, intimately between these two dudes making a comic about Batman. Also awkward segue, <laughs> I feel like I need to disclose something to oh, our listener what? because I feel like in this episode, I'm, I'm squidgy about it coming out because I feel like I am on my very worst behavior <laughs> in this episode. Oh, no, you're great. You're great <laughs> in this conversation. So right before we turned the microphones on, I was like, I think I'm coming down with a migraine. And then throughout this conversation, and actually through next week's conversation. Spoilers, this is a two-part episode. So you're about to hear the conversation with Mitch and Tom about Batman the Brave and the Bold. And then on Thursday, we're going to drop a sequel episode with Tom King talking about Danger Street, which just had its sixth issue. But what you're going to hear over these two interviews is me slowly spiraling down into migraine territory and that sometimes it tears down a layer of like uh I, what it takes a filter off right i've listened to the interviews okay. already i don't think anyone could tell that you had a migraine <laughs> okay good while listening to them but they but could tell i was true. being being a little rude well <laughs> we start talking about your philosophy of Batman, which is a conversation that you've been having in your own head for the last several weeks. And you've been developing some feelings about Batman right. and the mythology around Batman. And maybe you're a little more honest with that conversation than you would have been if you weren't having a migraine. But I think we all benefit to that filter coming down, Lisa. Got it, and it's so. not like you you offended Mitch or Tom over the course of this conversation either. And I don't think you'll offend any Batman lover out there, which you are a I Batman lover. I am a lover. Batman lover. And like in this conversation, you toss off offhand, Lisa hates Batman. And I do not. <laughs> I joking. love, I know you were joking, but you know, sometimes there are shades of meaning. Like <laughs> what I think is so interesting about the Batman conversation right now is that Gotham has been Gotham for so long and Batman has been Batman so long. And I feel like- And many of us have been reading Batman stories for so long, watching Batman movies for so long. You know, in my case, 30 years, in your case, what? Almost 20 years? So like, to me, like you look at a bad situation and you see an individual going like, I have the solution. And then you watch the solution not really work for Decades. Yeah, but that not really working is at the heart of the winning card story yes. that Mitch and Tom are telling. And it's an adaptation of sorts of the first Batman issue. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much. Like they deconstruct what Bill Finger and Bob Kane were exploring back when that issue dropped. And now layering on a 2023 um, well, perspective, right? Right. Well, I, a lot of my philosophy on Batman was formed while reading Cliff Chang's Catwoman. Yeah, recently. Lonely City. That's right. And that conversation started inside me, and now I cannot not see that narrative in every Batman comic that I read. But I'm not one of these people 
who thinks that Batman is a fascist. Like, or, or thinks that, like... But he's the, a little bit of a fascist. He's a little bit of a fascist. <laughs> like all superheroes. Yeah, but, like, to me, I go, Batman is a scared, flawed boy who has overcommitted to a terrible idea. All right, don't give too much away of what we're going to talk about with Tom and Mitch. But that's, okay, that's the groundwork. That's just my my long-winded way of saying I'm sorry. No, you... But also... <laughs> I think this would have come up whether you had had a migraine or not. But I would but have you been, would have been a little tactful. more subtle, maybe a little more tactful, <laughs> and you're less so in the conversation. But again, I think that brings an energy to the chat that's exciting. Yeah. And I think people are going to really enjoy here. But I love Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I love Batman. And I love Batman stories. And you can also tell in this conversation, I love having this conversation. I will never tire of this conversation. And I love the Joker. I love the Joker. And I love any comic that introduces a version of the Joker that's not quite like any previous Joker. Mm -hmm. This is a very unique, a very scary Joker. I think I used the word scary like 700 times over this interview. Right. And I, I, I adore it. I mm -hmm. adore it. And Tom King brought a really interesting Joker into his Batman run. You can actually go back and listen to our episode, link in the show notes, discussing the best man storyline where the Joker's just hanging around, waiting in some dude's apartment, waiting for an invitation. That Joker, I think, was a leveling up of the concept mm -hmm. of the insanity behind the Joker. And I think this Joker is another leveling up of the concept. I think, like, Joker is a little bit of an ink blot test. A Rorschach test, maybe? <laughs> Perhaps. Where, like, we try to overlay intentionality over what the Joker does because we cannot grapple with the senseless. Yeah, yeah. Like the senseless is so terrifying to us that we have to throw a reason over it. And I and I think that this new approach to the Joker deepens that conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, before we get into the, the chat officially, uh, again, go to the links in the show notes. There's the link to our conversation about the best man. One of the very first episodes that Lisa and I ever released in this feed was an in-depth conversation between the two of us about Mr. Miracle, one of our mm -hmm. all-time favorite I love those episodes. Books. Uh, there's a link in the show notes to that. There's also a link in the show notes to our episode discussing the Gabriel Walta, Tom King episode, uh, uh, comic book, The Vision, mm -hmm. another cherished book for comic book couples counseling. And Tom King has been on the podcast before discussing Love Everlasting. He did that chat with Elsa Chartier, and that's one of our favorite creator conversations as well. She, it's one of the ones where the artist is drawing the entire time, so you can hear her little scritchity scare act. Actually, she gets some free I, ASMR. I edited a oh, lot of that out, Never mind. Lisa. I got the scritchity scratch. You guys got nothing. Uh, but Love Everlasting, if you're a Batman Brave and the Bold fan and you're not reading Love Everlasting you're missing out on one of the best comics oh, of the year. It's so good. Just like this issue. I love issue. it so hard. And you should probably also read Batman One Bad Day, the Riddler issue that Mitch Jarrods and Tom King did because that's very much in conversation with the winning card also. Oh man, if you have not read these comics yet, you have such a treat ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, What, yeah. what good books? Final warning, this is a full spoilers conversation mm -hmm. about Batman the Brave and the Bold. Well, 
not the whole first issue. We spoil everything in the first chapter of the winning card. So if you have not read it, it's going to be spoiled for you. So please go and read it. It's great. We love it. Here's my super loose off the dome plot synopsis. The winning card opens with all of Gotham City PD at this one rich guy's house because the Joker has threatened to murder this guy and steal his diamond. And uh, Gordon is like, oh man, this is like such a waste of resources. Meanwhile, Batman, it's his first year. He's spending a lot of time beating up this guy who has already murdered his wife. And then also the Joker has kidnapped this child from a park and is kind of taking her on a little promenade. He gives her a balloon. They, they, they walk around the park for a little bit. They hang out in a house. They do hide and seek. And now here's the ending of everything. Mr. Claridge dies anyway with a huge smile on his face. And it turns out the diamond has already been stolen. And then the Joker returns the daughter, Helen, to her dad and then murders the dad. So the entire time the dad is worrying about the safety of his daughter while his daughter was probably the safest individual in all of Gotham. And while Batman was beaten on this dude at the train yard, a Brute Nelson, the gangster, oh, yes. this was is at important. a Bruce Wayne party wanting to get some FaceTime. This is a heinous gangster. He thinks he can take advantage of Bruce Wayne. He's sorely mistaken. But yeah, Brute Nelson, back in canon. That's well, right. If you don't Black remember who canon. he is, give him a goog. Batman, number one. You should also read that. Bill Finger, Bob Kane. Wow. Okay. All right. You did a great job, Lisa. Thanks. I'm pretty proud, actually. Let's just jump into this conversation with Tom and Mitch now. Lisa, we've did it. We've got the hottest couple in comics in the love nest. Tom King and Mitch Jarrods. How are you? Good. Doing well. Doing real well. Wait, wait. I, I need I need clarification on hottest. Do you mean... I mean, most attractive physically. Oh, good. Yeah, no, that's yeah. the one I was hoping yeah, for. Good. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The word hottest has layers like an onion or yeah. like Shrek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, like Shrek. That makes sense to me. We're dropping this episode on the day that Brave and the Bold number one came out. Uh, we have read the issue. We have reread the issue. We have reread the issue again. It is such a uncomfortable it's comic it's so scary or a poem <laughs> like the vibe on this book is different than what we've experienced before from both of you i think it is a much uh like i just keep saying scary it's as much scarier comic yeah i think one of the the things that started this whole thing is tom and i talking about how comics have never scared us like it it you know, we can be scared by movies and audio and things that have ways to build that tension. But when you're you're reading a comic, you're in control of everything. Uh, so it's really tough. And so we were like, oh, we set out to tell a story that would actually scare someone. And <laughs> what better way to do it than with the Joker? <laughs> we literally, Mitch had some friends in the... Uh, what would you call the horror podcast genre? Like some, yeah. some pe pe people who are very successful at that. And we we literally sat down and had a dinner with them and we're like, what works and what doesn't work? Like what scares people? And we like, we're deconstructing it in terms of trying to build this comic before we started. So, so what did they tell you? So what did they, what were some of their hot tips? 
I mean, nothing was. I mean, nothing was revelation. Revelational. Yeah, that's a new word. I just invented it. Revelational. It's I like new. it. It's big. It's scary. You're a what wordsmith. Things I said. I'm a wordsmith. I'm a wordsmithy. Uh, it's number two. Uh, no, um, uh, I mean, it was like you know, obviously, like what the deal was is, is you're manipulating the imagination of your reader more than manipulating their eyes or ears or senses. Um, so it was like a lot about what you what you don't show as opposed to what you show. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 how that sort of creates it can create dis- discordance that leads to um, fear. What or- what really struck me about this first issue is, for me, Joker accomplished a magic trick. He created this enormous distraction that you know he got all of the cops in one place. He still managed to get the jewel, murder the Mister Claridge, and also do this other crime at the same time. I think about like how Batman, how the police and Batman try to create this sense of ubiquity. We're everywhere and because we are everywhere, we can keep you safe. And here the Joker goes like, you are not in fact everywhere. And here is how I can prove that. I, I mean, the, the, the story is built on Batman number one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, uh, the way I would put it is we're sort of sampling Batman number one, the way you would do in sort of modern music. Yeah, um, Brute Nelson. He's back. Yeah, yeah Brute Nelson. Uh, and, 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 and I think what makes that comic spectacular and, and one of the few like genuinely like great reads. I mean, I mean, there are lots of stuff in the golden age that you admire, but some of it's just very aged. Um, but that, that Batman number one, it's, it still reads what really well. Uh, is, is that like comics up to that point we're, we're you know the, obviously comics are being pitched to kids they're really a, a medium for seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds very disposable medium and 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 just like you said the, the sort of magic trick here was like you know robinson and kane and finger introduced this character that was not a child's character that was a serial killer that was a, 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 an absolute horror that pulled off this magic trick every you know most comics up to then you read shazam a guy comes up with the plan, Shazam breaks up the plan and, and, and that's, and it sort of goes away. Um, I guess it was called Captain Marvel back then. Uh, but, but like the, in this, the guy comes up with a plan and actually gets away with it and, the, and the fr- people freaking die at the end. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like that set off like an atom bomb that we're still kind of feeling the, the, um, the retributions all these years later. Before we started recording, Brad and I, Brad was going like, this is like a horror comic. This is like a horror version of Batman. And like, I guess it is horror in the theme of like slasher. Like this is like a scream, you know what I mean? Like he, they're they're doing a, like a scream kind of idea. But it doesn't necessarily match your rules of what yeah. a horror comic is. For me, horror means like there is a supernatural element. Which I object to. And, which he objects to. But I do think like- Wait, so you mean like a movie like Halloween is not horror? And- it is horror because there is a supernatural element, which is why Michael Myers persists. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but not in the first one. In the first one, he's just a crazy guy who broke out of a. Yeah, that's true. But then he disappears at the end, so. right? He like he gets shot up a bunch of times by Loomis. But uh, I think that Batman, Batman is competing with something that is a supernatural element, and that is his limitation. So, like he, like within the DC universe, he is the individual who is faking it. Yeah, he's, he's fabricating it. he's fabricating the supernatural element. He wants right. people to think that he's a supernatural creature. And I think the same with the Joker in this context. Uh, I mean, I I I wouldn't say that I would say the Joker is supernatural on the fact that he has superpowers or he comes right. from, you know, magic or or ghosts or something. I I'm saying that he is trying to appear supernatural. 
as Batman does trying to appear supernatural, like in the context of like larger than life. Yes, I think in in the context, yeah. I I mean, I I mean, this first book was supposed to set up that these are two forces of nature, that they're Mm -hmm. beyond, you know, our sort of human understanding, like, like, like that, that any normal villain, Batman's going to kick their ass, any normal human Joker's going to kill them. And so this is when they meet. And and, and in that that sense, they're like two mythical figures meeting. So they're kind of supernatural in in that way. And I I think of Joker as being supernatural just in terms of writing fiction, Mm -hmm. because unlike any other character in fiction, any other character I've ever written, or even read about, he doesn't have motivations. Like every character is, I mean, every time you write anything, the third act of the villain explains to you why he did what he did. The Joker never has to make that speech. He never has to, because the Joker just does anything because he's freaking evil and he doesn't really care about it. He's not motivated. It's not like, you know, I'm sad because my mom died or I have this origin story or this origin story. He's just like, I want to kill people. Or sometimes I don't want to kill people. He's complete random. He's chaos, the opposite of Batman. So in that way, I feel he's supernatural. And I love that you brought up that that comparison to like Michael Myers or all those things, because that's exactly how I view the Joker. He is he's a man, but is he? Uh, you know, it's it's this nebulous world of if if the Joker is just a person who's gone crazy or if it's something else. And I like to perpetuate that uh, the the way I draw him with the inexplicable white eyes, like the the old. Uh, Adventures of Batman animated series. Yes. Uh, There's a moment in Wayne Manor where Bruce finally gets some FaceTime with Brut Nelson and <laughs> new star stage. Speaking of Brute Nelson, years ago, I was hounded by this one Twitter account that was a Brute Nelson fan page. <laughs> and they better be getting this comic because they kept going on about, we need Brute Nelson back. Bitch, that was a dream. There's no way there was a Brute Nelson. <laughs> I think he's still on there. I looked him up. <laughs> I guarantee you the Brute Nelson fan accounts will come out of the woodwork when this issue drops. But there's like this brilliant moment where Bruce Wayne is talking to Brute and he says like, you know, well, let's just say I was out looking for demons. And when Bruce turns to Brute, the panel is suddenly like Bruce Wayne has Batman's eyes. So like to me that that is kind of like a metaphorical but also like a supernatural moment in the comic. I loved that bit. Yeah, for sure. That I mean that's it's you guys are hitting the the nail on the head with uh, all this as to how I was approaching all that. Uh the eyes thing I feel like it was Chris Somney or Tom Riley. They posted a Batman fan art and it was Bruce Wayne but like the shadows cutting across and it was the eyes. And I was like, oh, that is so beautiful. And so when I was reading that script and there's that moment where Tom wrote something like he turns to Brute like suddenly with a face like Batman, I just took that literally. And uh, I think it's a really cool moment. Yeah, I mean, it to me, it speaks directly to that writing the line of what is Batman? You know, is he, you know, a guy with no superpowers or is there something to him, you know? Also at the center of this story is this idea of irony. We have the moment with Helen where the Joker tells this joke about this individual who doesn't understand the definition of irony. And then we have this moment of dramatic irony where this child says something that is so so wise and will inform, I, I assume, the rest of this arc. But then like, I think that 
irony is something really dangerous to bring up in a Batman story. Because for me, once you start pointing out small irony, the big irony everywhere is obvious. And to me, the ultimate irony of Batman is that he actually isn't making Gotham any safer. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's why the story starts out with, um, you know, it's a, it's a Joker story. And then the side story, the Batman sort of subplot is, is him chasing down this um, this this criminal who did something bad. And he's brutal to this guy. This is this is pre-Robin. This is, you know, before anyone lightened up Batman. And I mean, I, I wanted exactly that to, to be that that sort of irony that, that is he kind of he's he's his own little monster in this scene. Like he's gonna, I mean, he's he's the guy's you know bleeding there, his legs broken, he's crawling, and Batman's not even helping him at all, not even talking to him, just watching him and playing with him in the same way uh, like a serial killer might play with his victim, except he's our good guy. So yeah, I, I that idea is is runs throughout it. This this sort of the the irony that this is our hero, that he's our hero, and where he could easily you could shift the camera and see him as the as the villain. And you know, doing a year one story, you know, it automatically puts this different filter on it than you would get anywhere else. Can you can you talk about why this had to be a year one story? I mean, it was it was it was a few things. I, I very much wanted to do. I've had a lot of original ideas, I hope, God willing. And I was like, I'm going to, this is a very unoriginal idea. Uh, you, you know, like like, like uh, a great chef uh, can make incredibly intricate meals, or they can just make something that's utterly simple and, and hopefully perfect. And I was like, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do like, this is not, I'm, I'm not giving you huge twists or deconstructions or that kind of stuff. I'm making you just like, steak you know with a side of potatoes but i'm going to do it in as intricate and as pretty and with the best artists in comics as i can and see if i can just nail that so like so I, that so I was, I was like so that was the idea i was like i'm going to do an origin of jokers joker and batman meeting for the first time that's been done that's batman one that's bat that's the dark knight Brewbreaker did it obviously bob kane did it it's been done 15 times so i was like i want to do my version of that a lot of people have made steak but i'm going to make the best steak i can yeah, it's like a three-ingredient meal, which is yes. in the spirit of the original Batman Year One graphic yes. novel. Very farm to table, you know. It's very simple in there. Uh, and, and, I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> so, so that that was part of it. The other part of it was was you know so, sort of what I what I said before is I wanted. I think the Batman that evolves, the Batman I, I wrote in Batcat, is is the Batman that's that's sort of been affected by his family, uh, a, a guy who who is. You know, you know, I started the first comic I ever read was um, A Lonely Place of Dying by Marv Wolfman. And like, that's all about like after Jason died, and what, what, what it means for Batman to have a Robin, have a not Robin. And I wanted to write a story about a more, you know, brutal, bestial Batman, a more crazy Batman. Batman doesn't quite understand who he is and what he can do. And and, and because that's the one I wanted to, to, to take on the Joker, because I think that chemistry of the two of them, of, of, of just a guy who thinks he is omnipotent because he can punch anyone as hard as he can meeting someone he cannot defeat. Which is really evident in issue two when they first actually clash together. Okay. Yeah. I'm itching for that to happen, but <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh, like the first time we like really get to see Joker in this issue when Helen and him are having the conversation talking about, talking about like withholding, and not showing this idea of using these silent film title cards to communicate his language. Like, a sh like that was like the first slap of the comic for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. was like, oh, this is new. This is something I have never seen before. Yeah, um, the title card thing, 
wasn't originally in the script but like it's just it just felt right sometimes you're working on these comics and you get this idea and it just oh and so uh like I, i'm very cinematic when i approach a story and how i view it and i just love the idea of if this was a movie or an animated thing there's chaos and action and then all of a sudden it just stops to like weird piano music and then you read that and there's like a scratchy record player sound and then back to the chaos it just feels so very Joker and just a way to make this Joker different than all the other Jokers that have come before and come now. And and you see a little bit at the end how I'm going to play with that in the rest of the series where they kind of break the fourth wall a little bit. And so like at the end of issue one, the film starting to melt and mm-hmm, yeah, yeah scratches start coming in with the ha ha ha's and yeah so it's been real fun to play up with that kind of fourth wall element that you don't usually get to play with in comics mitch and i have been experimenting with this sort of um as a comic book technique of of putting words in these black panels and sort of what it what it does Uh, i mean we're doing that for like seven years now with you know dark side is and the pow pow pows and all that Mm -hmm. uh so I, I was thinking about this and I remember as a kid, I was, I, I was always obsessed with in, in DKR, Frank, Frank does those panels that are like basically talking head panels, you know, um, like news people talking, but he doesn't give them word balloons. He gives them captions, right? Mm-hmm. Without, without boxes, just like kind of, or no, like, like underneath the pictures kind of. And I always found that to be so, just so much more effective than it, somehow it made it like haunting. It looked like the characters were frozen, but I was still reading their words. Like you lose the movement of the comic book all of a sudden. And instead they're, yeah, it, it, it's that spooky thing of like, if you pause a TV and you still hear the voice coming at you, it's like creates kind of a, a discord. So I, I wanted to ex- experiment with that as, as kind of a way to make Joker, the fact that you would see him and then, and then in a panel later, you would get his dialogue. It would, it would, it would, it would you know, just me sort of copying and trying to build in what Frank did. Mm, well, it inserts this like kind of stillness that, yes. that uh, is very creepy. A stillness, but also like to me, like it cosmically elevates the idea it's, of the Joker. It's kind of a timeless move. And suddenly the Joker I'm hearing in this comic is not the Joker that I've heard in every other comic. Like I think when I read Joker stories, I do hear Mark Hamill because I was raised on Batman the Animated yeah. Series. Yeah, but suddenly, like, I was not hearing Mark Hamill in this book. Like, I was hearing something, something like 2001, A Space Odyssey, something with, like, some serious reverb to it or well, something. To me, it reminds me, like, the scariest thing about the Joker is not the Joker. It's the idea of Joker. And the scariest thing about Batman is not Batman. It's the idea of Batman. And they're both trying to, like, manipulate manipulate this idea and this in this year one comic this is an area where joker is greatly outpacing batman yes yeah joke joker's like three steps ahead of batman Mm -hmm. and that that's again right from i mean we're going right back to the bob kane bill finger stuff that's joker's origin story he started a few paces ahead of batman batman had to catch up so that's that's sort of built into the comics um but yeah I, i i i agree with you i but like I hear Mark Hamill's voice too. And I, I, what makes that so genius is, is like Mark Hamill's so good. You, you kind of, uh, it's, it's hard to hate his Joker. I mean, it's, I mean, he's such an awful, awful person. You always want to hate, but sure. But there's something kind of just a little wonderful about him. There's something a little nice. I don't know, maybe because I've just 
to him too much Luke Skywalker. Like you can never separate yourself from it. But and this Joker, there's just there's nothing about him to like. He's not. A, he's not. Which makes him. I mean, awesome because you know that's you know you like Mike Myers even though there's nothing about him to like. It's 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 it's, it's that appeal. You know, it's it's the negative appeal. That idea of like not liking this version of the Joker when when we have the scene with him and Helen and the balloon. You're like, oh, this is an interesting pairing. This works, this works. But then when we get to the end of the issue and Joker kills the dad right in front of Helen, like, like it's like, this This is not fun. Like, I mean, literally just for his own entertainment. The murder of the dad in the doorway in the context of greater Gotham is not something that's going to be really like, oh, let's get the entire unless it, GPD. Unless it does. GCPD, we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. And, and and that's, I mean, that's an obvious callback to the, the first serial killer movie, M, which, which you know, from 1930, whatever, it's a German yeah, movie. Peter Lorre. With Peter Lorre as the, as the, as the super bad guy. And, uh, and he's, he's killing children. And, 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 and the, the famous image is the, they can't, obviously can't show the child die. So they show the balloon float off into mm-hmm. the air. Mm-hmm. So that, that was sort of my callback to like the first serial killer and Joker, the ultimate serial killer kind of merging visually. The other fun thing about having a year one story though, is it's also the time when Batman is selling himself to Gotham. Mm. And then the Joker is also kind of doing the same thing, you know, where they have to sell themselves as concepts uh, to the city, but also to the reader. Yeah. And there's something magical too, about a Gotham where the citizens aren't used to all this chicanery. Um, now there's a guy dressing up as a bat running around. And now, like, the news reports are coming in and there's a scary clown on the streets. Like, it's all, it's all new to them, which I think is terrifying to think of, like, because it brings us back to our world a little bit, I think, where all of a sudden, like, if you saw that on the news, you'd be like, oh, sh-. Woo! Mm. Yeah, that, that that's been super fun and this is is like everyone thinking the joker is just something they can handle you know the you know gordon being like okay the cops will handle this and then you know gordon's boss being like we could not handle and then batman and then just realizing no this is something you've never seen before this is something completely utterly unique and bizarre and and them coming to that realization what that means sort of for them as characters and and like almost existentially what what does it mean that the devil is out there you know yeah and again the joy of that the dramatic irony of that is like we know what's coming for Gordon. Like Gordon's <laughs> Gordon's life is going to change. Yes. And, we, and we also know what's coming for Brute, presumably. And it's going to be the exact same freaking thing he just did. <laughs> like, you know how I distracted you? I created this distraction and did exactly what I wanted within it. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. I mean, this is, this is that Hitchcock moment where you're, the, you're seeing the bomb being put under the chair and everybody knows it's just going to go off over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's like, it's the first step of that. How do you know when it's time for a Tom and Mitch story? Uh, when Mitch is done drawing. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know what is a Tom and Mitch story? What do you that's, think? Mitch? That's a good question though, because like, Used to be because there's some sad sack dude at the middle who won't love his family. <laughs> I guess gotten away from that a little bit. But I think every every story we've done has been born out of us being next to each other and just rambling on about what excites us or what we haven't done yet, or even what like bugs us in comics and how we can affect that. But uh it's usually just this kind of wonderful kismet that happens 
where we're just talking and all of a sudden like one of us has the light bulb pop up above their head and then we just elaborate on that i mean we, we talk about sort of where we want to go both professionally and creatively um and you know both both are equally important you know what sort of what mountain do you want to conquer or whatever that is uh and you know also editorially you know what the lettuce do uh and, and for this i mean this was we had just done the sort of riddler one and that's 48 pages which is about to be put in a beautiful hardcover we just got 64 oh, oh 64 sorry <laughs> Mitch <Ripped> you off. <laughs> i remember so we, we we i mean i think we greedily said if we could do a four issue sort of batman evil dark story to match that issue that we, we could put that in one trade and have sort of the riddler joker um you know dark mitch saga uh which which we think would look just beautiful so so it, i mean that that was part of the calculation of being like we want to we, we we really felt we hit something with the riddler book we just both mm. of us loved that and we wanted something to complement it to make sure it could because sometimes you write a if you write a, a 64 page story and it can kind of get lost eventually you do like a fantastic annual just because they, they aren't collected that way they're not so so we wanted to put something out that could be collected forever and stand on its own so this was sort of to complement that lisa and i were wondering if the riddler one bad day story and this were in conversation because they do feel like they belong together and then of course it inevitably makes us wonder is there a third chapter after the winning card <laughs> yes after this we're doing tweedledee and tweedledum yes. <laughs> sad tweedle story you've uh, ever seen oh you just but i would read that <laughs> uh i don't we don't know what's next right i have i'm, I'm uh, trying to talk mitch into some things he's trying to talk me into some things so <laughs> this is the first time where we both have separate ideas and we're trying to figure it out yes um but i'll i'm gonna win so that'll <laughs> or he might win I, I can't do anything without him all i can do is put words in paper he can do lots without me he can make a comic without me i can't make a comic without him i don't think it's fair it really is <laughs> like cheating so is that how the winning card really comes to be like you wanted something like is it is it that kind of like I don't know, cold or logical, where we need something to pair with the Riddler story. Let's let's think about what that would be. Or are you already marinating on a Joker story? And then that just fits with... I don't think it's cold. I think it's hot. They take their two brains, they rub them together, they make a comic baby. <laughs> Hottest couple in that comics. That we get to hold and tell you how beautiful it is. I mean, I mean, I mean there's there's bigger context to it all. Like, I, I mean, I, I think I've... I'm getting up to having written the most Batman comics of anyone alive. It's like me and Chuck Dixon. Um, and, uh, but when I did Riddler, uh, I felt like I was writing an entirely new Batman. I was doing a much more ground. I wrote a very superhero Batman. I love my Batman run, but it was very superhero. They're big, big concepts and people traveling from the future and, um, you know, all, all the stuff that Chip even took to another level now where he's falling off the moon. And, <laughs> and, and when I did Riddler, I was like, oh, this is like the grounded Batman. This is like this, you know, this is a 1970s detective Batman or like, a you know, a Manhunter Batman. Um, uh, and I was like, I, I just I hadn't written a lot of that one. I hadn't written a lot of just the dark, dirty detective. And I had so and I, I was like, I wanted this is the Batman I want to write about this sort of what well, I mean, this is Mitch's description. So I'm going to steal him. But what is, it's a cryptid Batman you call Mitch? Yeah. A cryptic. I'm going to say it wrong. Cryptid. Uh, Cryptid. cryptid right yeah yeah the idea that he's sort of this this incredible force that haunts gotham city but he's not a superhero he's something else you know like i i, I, I just i wanted to do something on that vein 
I'm obsessed with this notion of, well, first of all, because of the pandemic, I got super into horror podcasts of, you know, creepy pastas and cryptids and all these things. And then I started thinking, wait, about, did you say creepy pastas? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tom needs to get oh. into the world of creepy pastas. <laughs> what they're creepy like is this literally a pasta that comes to life <laughs> no the lasagna ah! is that what we're talking Tom, we're gonna have to talk oh i'm, anyway. I'm sounding really stupid right now shut, up your, shut your mouth tom you're too old to talk but gotham city to me is this this supernatural place that's just full of creepy pastas and cryptids like it's all these unexplainable Wait, I'm I'm just I'm not supposed to laugh when you say creepy pastas. I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut. I'm just stuffed up. Okay. Creepy pastas. Gotham City is a place of creepy pastas. That's a <laughs> What's scary about Gotham is that there's no getting rid of the the villain elements because the villain element is the foundation of Gotham. If you defeat the evil in Gotham, it will just sink into the ground. Yeah. So like everybody, every hero in Gotham is actually doing a system of checks and balances where you go, okay, I'm going to work with this bad guy on this thing <laughs> to get to, a, to stop this thing from happening. And we're going to allow these corrupt cops to persist because that's the only way that, you know, commissioner Gordon can get his job done, you know, where it's just like Gotham just seems to be this place where it's impossible for things to get better, which I think is you know, sometimes where we are as human beings, where it's just like, well, you know what? We're stuck in Gotham. We're stuck in Gotham. Yeah. We are in a dystopian present. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a very sort of Catholic, um, after the fall, we've left Eden kind of thing, uh -huh. uh, Gotham City. You know, it's sort of like the first sin has already happened and we can never sort of take that back and we have to live with what we got and try to find redemption. Like that's yeah. that's very much the story of God. I mean, I wrote a, a book called Gotham Year One that was all about that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that 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 is very much what Batman is and what and what he's sort of confronting and sort of these demons that have been released. But yeah, he can never, you know, you can never uneat the apple. You know, you mm -hmm. you you live with the sins that are out there. What you're discovering is that Lisa has been on a real long journey with Batman over the last few years of this podcast, where she started out like this extreme Batman fanatic. And oh, somehow no. she has reached a point. I, still, I love Batman. No, you he love Batman. Like I never get tired of talking about Batman. But you are at a point where like your opinion of Batman is like he's wrong for Gotham. Yeah, I, I really think that uh, he made a mistake by becoming Batman. And he it's like he can't really take it back now. No take backs. You're Batman. Yeah, sorry. No, I mean, I, I mean, I. I I have some sympathy with that. I mean, I've always felt that like, you know, his, well, my parents died. So I'm kind of sad about that. And, you know, the pearls and that kind of crying as someone who's, you know, my, my mother died. I, I, that's a very child's point of view of grief. Like that's like that, that, that when you lose your parents, you know, you're kind of obsessed with that forever because you've lost something that can never be repaired, but being an adult is learning that grief can be repaired, hopefully. Um, and so I, I always, you know, it always seems a little child. That's why my final issue of Batman is him being like, yes, I'm not a child anymore. You know, that I, I did feel that, but I have other things to live for now. I have a family to live for. I've got them to live for. So I, I, I do, I do have sympathy to that sort of view of like, he comes from an odd, in, in an odd place. It's not exactly uh, pure and simple. And, and the idea that that thing of like, I can fix everything. If I assert myself hard enough, I, the individual can make make the world better it's very dude of him but what he's actually doing is creating a power vacuum 
where he cannot no longer Batman because if he no longer Batman, you know, chaos, something terrible will take his place. Yeah, I like Tom said, I, I tend to view these things as like, especially with Batman as a very grounded element in how I view how this reacts in the rules of the real world to a point. But like, I do love the fact that Batman is just a man. And I like the idea that there's negatives that come with that as well. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people's view of Batman is that he's infallible and he, you know, the the whole thing of if he plans enough, he can defeat anyone, blah, blah, blah. But like, we're all flawed. And to think that Batman isn't is like too childish of a view for me. And so I like the idea that, like you've been saying, he makes these choices and now he's living with it. Whereas maybe it wasn't the perfect choice, but it was the choice he made at the time. And, you know, that that's that's the world. That's our story. That's how humans create story. I'm gonna get all highfalutin because you're highfalutin people. Yes, please. But like, I, I remember what, yeah, when I, fir- I was first reading like Star Trek when I was a young, uh, stupid kid. And like th- this idea that he had that like, once you get rid of sort of the concept that God does things for you and uh, and then, you know, if you pray hard enough, it's, it's like, it, it reveals that, that the self does things for you mm-hmm. and that you, that the power is not with the divine, but with you and you make decisions and your own will can change the world instead of praying. You actually have to, you know, the, and the sort of, you know, the Camus idea, like if, if you accept that you can't get the rock up the hill, then, you know, you can live a happy life. I, to me, I do admire that sort of about Batman. I mean, that can lead to some weird Randian junk if you push it too far. But 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 that that to me makes it interesting that he's he's like, I'm going to make a choice to stop crime. And I know that's impossible. And I'm going to make every sacrifice in my life to to achieve that 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 um, that decision that that to me creates sort of um what Mitch said, a cryptic, a man unlike any other man who's 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 showing, you know, what's possible with the will, and also if you think everything is possible with the will, what the consequences of that are. I th- I think though sometimes the revelation on the other side of like the the fruits of of my life are going to come out of my personal effort is the beauty of the world is going to come out of the collective effort of all of the people. If we can find a common ground on which, oh, now I'm just creating Watchmen. The squid's <laughs> gotta come down. And once that squid comes down, everything's gonna be freaking better. But I, I like, I, I mean, like- I think the pandemic taught us that that's not true. But I mean, like, like, I, like, like the greatest godliness is going to come out of a collective effort of humanity rather than the individual effort of one rich person. Like, I, I think like- the, um, <laughs> yeah. That's why I said there's some Randy crap weirdness. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I think, but I, I mean, the tension in Batman and the tension in all superhero comics is like the, the, the difference between, you know, individual freedom and the to fascism, right? Like, right. like the, the, the idea that the, the sort of one man knows better than other people how it can be organized. And I, I, I think that's what makes Batman great is that he does- I mean, I, I mean, a thousand people have played with this better than I have, but the idea that he does know there is that limitation that he can't mm. become a fascist, that he doesn't suddenly organize. I mean, because if, if, I mean, I tr- I'm one of the stupid people who think Batman could be, be beat Galactus if he had enough planning time. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, an idiot. I'm one of those idiots. Um, and the idea that he 
he could organize the superheroes. He, he could do, you know, the whole, you know, Mark Way Tower of Babel thing and defeat them. And he and he does, and he, he restrains himself. He's like, this is the best I can do within what within the confines. I think makes him interesting. I well, I find Batman extremely interesting. That's why I love Batman. You know, like, and it is like the fallibility and the limitation, and, and him him trying to, especially in year one, try to hide his limitations. You know. Like he's trying to go like, hey, look, there's my symbol in the sky. I'm the hero. But in actuality, he is banged up, bruised, (laughs) making mistakes, failing. Like one of the the most fun ironies for me about Batman is Batman 66 is considered like the silly Batman. But he's a Batman with the best track record of heroism. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) There's the least fallout from his decisions and a lot of those decisions are just dancing which i love <laughs> man i just watched the michael keaton batman's the first two he's killing people left and right yeah. in those movies. <laughs> oh my god he gives some guy a bomb and pushes him into a building and watches him explode yep amazing amazing oh gosh uh well we could talk batman forever forever with you two uh but we've only had one issue of batman brave and the bull to get through yet and there's so many more to go, and we're extremely like excited. Three more to go. It's so short. My God, so many more to go. No, the, you guys are going to do at least twenty percent more to go. Yeah, yeah, seventy-five percent. Wise, that's a my lot. favorite thing to when I was telling people about this book at conventions and stuff is Tom's like, "All right, we're going to take that eight-page story from 1940 and retell it as 96 pages." <laughs> I call it the ultimate Bendis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you said it. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, We we hope you will return in the future so we can talk more Batman or whatever else you got going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I have to leave and go freak out about Trinity. So we'll see. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, good luck. Good luck. We didn't even talk about Trinity. Look at at us. Specifically told not to. (laughs) Oh, don't talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> i have thoughts though i'm excited good. i'm yeah, real there, excited there are some thoughts out there for sure <laughs> mine are positive good luck oh, good, managing good. all at the least thoughts. the internet is a good place oh yes you gotta yeah. curate that garden you gotta mute and block yeah. as many people as possible <laughs> and on that note let's get out of here and get online thank you guys you guys rock i appreciate it oh, thank you our pleasure See, Lisa, you were not that savage against Batman in that conversation. Yeah, I know. But there is that one moment where Tom's like, I see a lot of myself in Batman. (laughs) And I don't I don't uh, roll back anything that I said. (laughs) You're like, you're a bad person. (laughs) No, no, that's not not my point. He's a good person making bad decisions. Well, we've talked about that a lot over the course of our many years doing comic book couples counseling. But the appeal of superhero stories is that they're exaggerated interpretations of our everyday lives. And they show that failure is part of the journey we become better people through our failings listen to luke skywalker in the last jedi actually listen to uh, yoda in the last jedi yes i love the last jedi i'm just gonna drop that bomb right here <laughs> uh yoda is like you know failure's your teacher and we wholeheartedly believe in that and when you read batman 
It is just a man failing and learning from his failings. And he's also an individual who is trying to function within a broken system. Yeah. Where I feel like in this conversation, I was able to articulate, like, you know, how I feel about Gotham, where it's a tractor that runs on, uh, I don't know, I I can't find the end of that metaphor. But, like, it exists because of the evil within it. It is now a a machine built upon dysfunction. Mm. And if we take the criminal out of element out of Gotham, what will we have left? It won't be Gotham anymore. Well, I'm really excited to see where Tom and Mitch go with this story, where mm-hmm. they leave this version of Batman off. You know, the joy of a year one tale is that he doesn't have his Bat family around. Right. You know, as Tom and Mitch talked about in this conversation. And... Brave and the Bold is all about partnership and succeeding through partnership. And Batman, where he is now in his continuity, he has this huge Bat family, Mm -hmm. multiple Robins, Batgirls, you know, like so many people that he could reach out to to help him succeed in whatever his goal is of that moment. Super friends. But this Batman in the winning card has none of that. Right. And... He, it is going to be a story, I'm guessing, of a Batman struggling, right? Struggling to deal with that trauma in his chosen method and having to adapt some of that childish philosophy. Yeah. You know, that, and th- this childish fix of donning a cape and punching people in a train yard. Yeah, it's like Helen says to the Joker, making mistakes is how we grow, right? Yeah, but gosh, like this Joker, you know, those silent film cards, his dialogue. uh, Like, when I read that, I just hear a Joker I've never heard before, and I find it so shiver-inducing, like, Like, I read this on the iPad at night in bed. (laughs) Spooky. It was a a real spooky comic. Like, it's been a long time since I've had a comic that gave me the shivers the way that this one did. And it's all because of those silent film cards. I'm really committed, though, to my uh, Scream interpretation. Yeah. Where where Joker is a non-supernatural individual... Trying to appear supernatural. Yes, he's he's doing a magic trick. Which is a reflection of what Batman is trying to do with his cape and cowl also. That's right. And which, you know, makes them great dark mirrors of each other. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I hope you all really enjoyed this conversation with Tom King and Mitch Jarrods. Like we said at the beginning, this is only a part one. Come back Thursday for part two. Tom King is here diving deep. Deep into Danger Street, the sixth issue just dropped. You should probably read all six issues. Highly recommend that you do so. And that conversation also goes into some (laughs) interesting territories. Yes, we talk a little bit, just a little bit about Wonder Woman. When we had both of these conversations, not only was Lisa having a migraine, it was the day that DC Comics announced Trinity, the daughter of Wonder Woman, and the internet kind of blew up a little bit. Right. And it was so funny watching Tom King's Twitter feed because he was responding to people 
right up until he hit record on this conversation with us. And then the moment he stopped talking to us about Danger Street, he went right back to Twitter. He's like a real reply guy. He's doing the James Gunn thing, mm -hmm. answering everyone's questions, concerns, frustrations about Trinity. And, uh, you know, and feeling really vulnerable about it. Feeling really vulnerable, but also wanting to have that conversation yeah. and not run away from it, which is what I would have done, right? I wouldn't have addressed any of that stuff. I would have just said, the story speaks for itself. Yeah. And the story does speak for itself. We can't talk about it, but Lisa and I have read Wonder Woman 800 mm -hmm. and Wonder Woman number one. Uh, and you But know. when we were, when we were having this conversation, we were super not allowed to ask about it. We were specifically requested not to talk about Wonder Woman at all. Right, right, right. So we talk about it in vague Yeah, Tom brings it up. Yeah, Tom brings it we up. We didn't bring uh, it up. So, but you're gonna wanna hear that conversation on Thursday. <laughs> That's what I'm hyping up. You're gonna wanna hear that conversation about Danger Street, Wonder Woman, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Plus, Danger friends. Street is such a weird, cool book. Such a good comic. One of yeah. the best comics going on. The stands right now. It's having a great meta conversation about what comics can be yeah. and do. We said this during our end of the year 2022 episode when we named Tom King our favorite writer of the year. But Tom King right now is on a streak. Yeah. You know, Danger Street, Gotham Year One, Brave and the Bold, Riddler One Bad Day, Love Everlasting. It like, could be wow. said that he is going for God-level ubiquity yes. in the DC universe. Yes, yes What a yes, perilous yes, place yes. to be. So please be on the lookout for that episode. And uh, our Invincible Full House conversation is going to happen. But again, Lisa had I was so sick. a migraine. And that wasn't the first migraine of the week that Lisa had. Yeah. So it so kind of ruined migraine, our schedule. Yeah, that migraine. Oh, like that one migraine that started on Friday, went through Saturday, um, had a little bit on Sunday, still happening today on Monday. Migraines are the best. Yeah, so Invincible Full House... Our conversation, our counseling session on Mark and Eve is gearing up to be released, hopefully at the end of, or at the beginning of next week. Yes. So yes, yes, yes. Thursday, Danger Street, the week after, Invincible Full House, and then we'll have another Creator Corner conversation with Patton Oswalt and Jordan Blum talking about the Dark Horse Comics series, Minor Threats. Big stuff happening at Comic Book Couples Counseling. We're super proud of it. We're Yay. super excited about it. Hit that subscribe button, friends. Oh, have you not yet? I, You're missing out. I'm guessing we picked up some new listeners with this Brave and the Bold conversation. So if Welcome. you are new, hit that subscribe. Go into our back catalog and see all the incredible episodes that we've done. There, less, there is less gotcha journalism in those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Oops. what we did this week. Gotcha journalism. Uh, okay. Lois Lane would be proud. Lisa, how do we get out of here? I have no idea. Maybe with a segue? Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? That's so sweet. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. 
If you'd like to get exclusive, Ooh. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Yes, and we're reaching the end of our Sleepwalking Through Sandman series. We just covered Sandman 66, The Kindly Ones, Chapter 10. Yes. Just three more issues to cover The Kindly Ones, and then we're on to The Wake, the final arc of the original Sandman series. You are not going to want to miss out on that one. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, where we have reviews of the new Superman Max Fleischer cartoons, the new Superman 4K box set, reviews of comics, our picks of the week. Please head on over to comicbookcouplescounseling.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We're fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. In three, two, one. Lisa, we have the hottest couple in comics in the love nest today, Tom King and Mitch Gerards. How are you? I just put that up. Yeah, I did. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. That'll make a great stinger. Now they they know. It will be the stinger. Uh, Now they know uh, how the intro is. Okay, three, two, one. Woo!